Good morning. I'm Peggy. I'm reading from Matthew chapter 7, verses 12 through 14. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also for them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, for those find, and those who find it are few. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right. Thank you, Peggy. Um, well, hello again. Long time no see. Um, this is going to be interesting for me here using this handheld mic. It's a stretch for me. It's, we're kind of off our game. I'll just be real this morning. A little bit of kind of loosey-goosey, sloppy Joe stuff going on this morning. Um, we'll blame it on daylight savings time. Oh, wait. <laughs> That's everyone else in the country. Um, but uh, it's, it's okay, right? We, yeah, we don't have the fall, but we also don't have to change our clocks. So, uh, you know, give and take. Well, we're going we're gonna to get into our time here pretty quickly this morning. We just read, read the, um, the scripture that we get to be in. And um, um, let me just, just, just kind of acknowledge the obvious. Over the last couple of months here in the Sermon on the Mount, we've, um, we, we've seen some really common phrases that some people probably didn't even know where they are, but are like, it's in the Bible somewhere. And um, as we've been in the Sermon on the Mount, we've seen some things that Jesus has said that we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know what that means. And then just kind of m- m- move along from there. But, um, but, 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 but we need to dive in and understand what he's really saying. Like one of those was judge not that you be not judged or judge not lest you be not judged. Again, right up there, commonly known with God helps those who help themselves and cleanliness is next to godliness and other Benjamin Franklin sayings that are not in the Bible, um, you know, but these are, right? Jesus did say that, and we need to press in and see what's he really saying, and this is another one of those, right? The golden rule, right? We tell our kids in kindergarten, little Johnny and Sally, you know, be nice to others, and they'll be nice to you, and we kind of take it, and we twist it, and we, we think it's, oh yeah, of course, I, I know what that means, and then we move on, and that's a good principle to shape your life by. Just be nice to other people if you want them to be nice to you, but that's not really what Jesus is saying here. He's pressing in, and he's given a counterintuitive, upside-down sermon on what it looks like to live and to thrive as his people. If you remember um, from the very beginning here, we, we saw that Jesus is bringing real heart transformation that translates and shows up in real everyday life. That, that, that Jesus is calling a transformed people to come to him and to put their faith in him and that that will show up in such a way that, 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 that our lives will be radically different than they would be without his intervention. That, 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 um, that in the beginning, God said, let us make man in our image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He, he, he created us to reflect him, that our, our whole lives, our identity and our purpose and everything about us would flow out of our relationship with God. And that our relationship with one another on a horizontal lo- lo- level would flow out of our relationship with God. But sin entered in. We all individually and corporately said, no thanks, God. I want to figure it out on my own. I want to do things my way. I want to, I want to know um, how, to, how to thrive. 
You've said this is, this is what it looks like to be your, your creation, to be your, your, your person, but I want to do it on my own. I want to figure it out on my own, and I want to decide how I'm going to relate with other people. And on a heart level, the reality is, like, we're selfish. We, we think we can, we can just kind of say something like this, like, oh, be nice to other people, and they'll be nice to you, but we, we can't. We don't have the capacity to relate with one another in that kind of way. Okay, you can, we're all selfish in here, every one of us. Like you can turn to your neighbor and say you're selfish. You can, you can do that. You can say that. And we'll get, we'll get into this. Don't worry, there will be some more interaction throughout the end. But the, the reality is like, let's just kind of, let's just kind of deflate what we, what we bring in here and all these, 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 these faces and these masks and these lies that we believe and that we bring in here and that we operate under that are just completely false. And one of them is, oh yeah, I'll just, I'll just be nice to other people. Because what what, we can say that, and we can agree with that maybe in theory, but what's actually happening in real life is, is, is we have more of a utilitarian approach. And what we're really saying is, if you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. And, and I'll do to you what I want you to do for me. But if you don't do that, then I'm going to go find someone else who will. Or I'm going to make you pay for not treating me the way I want to be treated. Right? Like, I'll scratch your back so you will scratch mine. And if you don't scratch my back the way I like it to be scratched, or I'm going to go find someone else who will. Okay? I'm going to just leave you. Like, this is really more about me. Right? And, and so that's the reality of the world that we live in. And even... You know, some of these things that Jesus says, if somebody, you know, slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone forces you to go with him one mile, go with him two. And all these things that we hear that and what he's really getting at, he's saying, I'm coming to undo the effect of sin of not God. Okay, sin in a nutshell is not God. Sin is, again, no thanks God, I'm going to do it my way. And Jesus says, I'm coming to undo that. And we need to recognize the things that we just accept or even overlook, like our selfishness, in order to truly enter in and press in to the transformation that he's bringing. And so again, let's just acknowledge this is counterintuitive. To treat others the way you want to be treated is not normal. And so when Jesus says here in verse 12, um, he says, he says for, for this is the law and the prophets. He's, 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 um, is, he's, he's, he's saying something here that's directly connected to what he said earlier. If you guys remember, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. In fact, I came to fulfill them. And so we, we need to hear that and hear, okay, Jesus said he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And so right now he's saying, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. In some ways, this verse 12, chapter 7, verse 12, is kind of, is, this is the beginning of the plane is l- l- landing in the Sermon on the Mount. We have two more w- weeks in this. Okay, you can say, aw, like, yeah, and it's been a, a really good time. Um, and, and then we're going to move into our Advent season. So we're starting to land the plane here. And this is kind of a summary verse. Chapter 7, verse 12, is kind of a summary of the whole Sermon on the Mount. Where, where Jesus is, is, is starting to connect the dots of, of this is what I came to do, says Jesus. And now as my transformed people, through faith in me, through identity, through union with Christ, so now your life 
will begin to fulfill what I came to fulfill. That, that, that Jesus came to fulfill the whole Old Testament, the law and the prophets. In, in, in summary, all of the promises and declarations of God Jesus said, I didn't come to undo that stuff, but to fulfill it, to inform it, to bring it into, into reality. And so now through placing your trust in him, that's, gonna, that's what's going to be lived out now. And so this is, this is a summary of the entire Sermon on the Mount in some ways of, again, however you want to be treated, treat others that way. Because that's how God designed you and me and his good creation to be. But because of our own sin on an individual level and on a communal level, we're saturated with selfishness. And Jesus said, I came to undo that. I came to change you from being navel gazers, right? Navel, not like, na but looking at yourselves, staring at yourselves and living life all about me and what I want. I came to set you free from that. I came to, I came to bring you into, the, into a place where your relationship with others it comes straight out of your relationship with God and your identity from him. And so again, we just read that, oh yeah, of course, the golden rule. Okay, move on, end of sermon. What's, what's next? But let's pause. This next part is Jesus again acknowledging what I hope we all feel the freedom to acknowledge in here. That's really hard. All right, let me just be real with you. Christianity, being a follower of Jesus, is hard. Right? If you, perhaps some of us in here have felt a frustration a discouragement of saying, you know, I was told, like, pray this prayer and everything will be sweet and easy from here on out. Or at least that's how I heard it. Or at least that's how the person kind of, you know, convinced me to hear it and to believe it. And, and now it's not that way. Like, I, I struggle. I, I don't want to treat others the way I want to be treated. Or these other people are not treating me the way I want to be treated. And I, it's, it's not easy. And so let's let Jesus' words continue to be an encouragement to us and not to just tune out and say, yeah, I've heard that before, move on, but to press in all the more and to say, Jesus, what are you saying? What does this life of following you look like? And so he says, again in verse 13, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. It's hard. It's narrow. It's not easy. It's not wide. But we're all, okay, we're, we're told in Isaiah that all we like sheep have gone astray, each one to his own way. Okay, picture going astray. So when we have this imagery here of Jesus talking about, about a road, obviously cars weren't around yet. But we, we know, we can picture this of being off course, out of alignment, right? I don't know if some of you guys perhaps have never driven a car out of alignment. I've never driven a car in alignment. I don't know. I've, they're always out of alignment. My car right now is out of alignment in every way. Um, I actually lent it to someone and he crashed it, so maybe it's your fault. No, just kidding. It's always, always out of alignment. I've never, it, maybe it helps me keep awake when I drive to Phoenix all the time, is I'm just, you know, I'm always having to keep that thing on, in course. But again, the, the natural alignment that we would take, like just acknowledge that, that if left to ourselves, we're out of alignment. But guys, here's the deal. Look, look at me. So we don't acknowledge that because the path is so wide and so easy that leads to destruction, right? Like if you were driving around in this massive space, like in a field, 
you know, you wouldn't have to really focus on keeping on track, right? You'd just be driving along, oh yeah, everything's good. And you might be swerving and making S-curves and all kinds of crazy things like that, you know, signs out in the cornfield and doing all kinds of crazy stuff because you're not focused, you don't have to focus. You can just, I'm just driving along, no big deal. You wouldn't even acknowledge that you're out of alignment. But when you're, you know, driving through Phoenix traffic and you've got it, you're going down I-17, about to go, you know, through I-10 right off of I-17 and there's, you're in a tunnel and cars are whizzing past you and, you know, hypothetically, I don't ever have to do this or experience this. You're like, my hands are 10 and 2, I'm locked right here, I know that I've got to stay aligned you know, or else I'm going to crash, I'm going to wreck here. This is, this, 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 this is a narrow and a difficult path. But, but our nature embraces a really wide and a really easy path. And so if left to ourselves, we don't acknowledge the unalignment in our hearts. We don't acknowledge our desperate need for Jesus because we just accept the easy path, the easy off-ramp. So in our marriages in our workplace, in our friendships, in our church relationships. That's, again, another emphasis we have with church membership. It's saying, you know, I acknowledge that when times get hard, I'm not going to just, just, just hit the eject button and go find somewhere else. When someone presses in on hardship for in my own life, and again, we say that as a church leadership as well as church members are agreeing, hey, when things get hard, we're going to move toward one another. We're going to press in to one another, and we're going to trust that, that, that Jesus, through the Holy Spirit who he sent, is going to keep us aligned and on track, and, and, and that's going to be difficult. But, but that's the life that Jesus has called us into. But instead, our propensity, directly flowing out of our, our selfishness here, is to just say, I'm just going to coast over this way now. I'm going to change lanes and not even acknowledge it and just kind of move in. And the world that we're living in and our own hearts will not keep us aligned, will not cry out. It won't be like those speed bumps. I forget what those are called on the shoulder whatever those are called, the thing that gets really loud and makes you wake up if you, you know, doze off. Like that thing, like that's, that's Jesus, okay? That's the Holy Spirit who, who he sent saying, hey, get back on track here. You're, you're, this, this road is narrow and difficult and you're wanting to, to wander here, but, but no, 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 press in here. Get on your knees and pray. Walk across the aisle and say, we need to talk. Acknowledge your desperate need for the intervention of Jesus here and and so that's where he's saying this way is difficult. And, and it's like, it's, it's similar to, um, to way back in the very beginning in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. You, 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 you don't have to turn there, but remember all these dots are connected here. And Jesus is, is preaching a cohesive sermon. If you remember his, the very first words out of his mouth, right, when Jesus saw his followers gathering around him, just like we are here, and, 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 he, and, he, and he moved toward them, and he sat down, and he, and he spoke, and he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, or happy, or made right. That's that word blessed, thriving are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So when Jesus comes and starts talking about this new way, this narrow and difficult way of the kingdom that leads to life, he says it comes through those who are poor in spirit. So, so picture again, draw, kind of connect these dots with me. Okay, I don't know if some of you have ever had to squeeze through a tight space, right? 
But if you're holding on to all kinds of baggage and luggage and you're trying to get through some kind of narrow, say, you know, at the airport or something, some kind of, you know, terminal, and you've got all these things on and, you know, you've got your kids packing plays and suitcases and all this stuff, like, you've got to unload some baggage in order to squeeze through. And if it's designed, it, no, no, you've got to be, like, you can't hold on to this baggage. Whatever else it might be, pride, self determination, arrogance, selfishness. Um, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and our, our consumerism. My life's all about me and what I can get and experiences and goods that I can, I can pile up. And, and that's a baggage that we have. And so Jesus says, no, come to me as you are, broken and desperate and needy, not trusting in yourself, but entrusting yourself to the good God who created you and who came to rescue and to restore you. And so that's what this imagery of this hard and difficult and narrow road brings up. So again, I want to I wanna just, just kind of call out here that this isn't something we can just bring on our own. And that we need to acknowledge that, 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 that self-help, that, that all these things is not, is not, um, not going to just, just earn our way. That just try harder to be nice to, you know, your neighbor and, and don't, don't, you know, don't, don't be mean to Johnny or else he'll be mean back to you and just do all these things. Like, can you, are you starting to see that doesn't work? And hopefully there's a weight here where we all feel this is difficult. Jesus isn't just calling me to an easy just kind of do this stuff. But here's the good news. He's, he's paved the way. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So we need to, hopefully up until this point, we felt the weight of, man, this is hard. This sounds, I thought, what, this guy's a buzzkill. Like, I thought Christianity was like, put your faith in Jesus, and, and then from there he'll take over, and your life will go this way. And, and man, you're really painting a difficulty. And let me, again, Jesus, Jesus says it's going to be difficult. It's going to be uncomfortable. But he says elsewhere, but I'm with you. And then he says, he says, he says um, I will never leave you or forsake you. When you start trying to pick up that baggage, right, you start trying to do all this stuff and try to squeeze through this difficult and narrow way, Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to just tap out and just throw you off the road here and you're done. But he also says, I'm going to continue to bring you along and that baggage is going to be exposed. You're going to have to let go and you're going to have to cling to him. So when Jesus says, the way is difficult that leads to life, I hope we hear, church, that he's saying that he is that way and that the difficulty that he's calling us into is one that he already established and paved for us. So, so that when we hear this way is difficult, we would, we would hear, but, but, but that only comes through faith in Jesus, that, that Jesus took the difficult way. Okay, there's a, there's a Latin phrase, the via de la ro 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 rosa, the way, and that's the way of the cross, the way, the way that Jesus came to, to bring you and me back to restoration, back to this place of being able to live out of our identity that God created us for, to be, to be his people, and that that would inform how we relate with one another. Jesus came and said, they're hopeless without my intervention. But the good news of the gospel, that word gospel means good news. The good news is that Jesus said, but I'm going to come and do it for them because they're stuck without me. And so Jesus comes and lays down his life. So are you, are you guys following 
that, that it's not as easy as just try to be nice to other people. And hopefully we hear that's impossible. We can't do it on our own. But as we kind of circle around here and land the plane, one, um, one definition of love that I'd love for us to just understand and embrace all the more here is author and pastor Carl Tripp in his book, What Did You Expect, says this. He defines love this way. Love is willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not require reciprocation or that the person being loved is deserving. And guess what? Saying, hey, try to be more loving, that, that does you no good. That does me no good because we, we, we don't have the faculty, the, the, the capacity, the strength to do that. It, it's impossible. And yet, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just read a couple of verses. Okay, You don't need to turn with me. You can j- jot them down so you can keep track. But, but just let this, let this sink in. When Jesus, to be clear, he is calling us into this kind of love. And yet the conundrum is we're incapable of producing it on our own. So, so what, is, what, is, what do we see then? How, what now? Right? We should be calling out, oh, wretched man that I am. What hope is there then if I can't live this kind of love that I was created for? I am stuck. God, help us. Well, well here's the picture that, that we have in Jesus. When Jesus calls for this kind of love, he says in John 13, verses 34 through 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. This kind of love that Paul Tripp unpacked there for us. But he says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And again, in John chapter 12, verses 12 through 13, again, just, just think on these words with me. He says, this is my commandment, that you have love for one another, as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. This isn't, we could read all those verses, and again, I think our propensity, our self-helpism that we live in today leads us to, to hear these things and to think that Jesus is saying, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, and then he just ends it there. So get on it. Be loving. Go do it. All right, end of service. Okay, and that's how a lot of us approach this walk with Jesus, this Christianity. And we fail. But all of these are built upon the conditional love, the conditional reality that Jesus first says, just as I have loved you. And then down in, cha- in chapter 12, again, he says, he says, I'm calling you, I'm commanding you, love one another, but not just on your own strength, as I have loved you. The first cause in our effort to love one another, to live this kind of, this kind of self-sacrificing all-in kind of love for one another is that it comes out of response to an, an unending well of God's love poured out on us. In R- R- Romans chapter 5, we're told that God shows his love for us and that while we're yet sinners, again, going back to that, that quote there that Paul Tripp said, it's, it's a kind of love that's, for the, that's self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not require reciprocation 
or that the person being loved is deserving. Can we just acknowledge, like, that's not how we live apart from the intervention of Jesus, right? Like, we say, I'm going to love you as long as you agree with me, as long as you're nice to me, as long as this. But man, if you start to support the candidate on either side of the equation that I don't support, or you start to like whatever it is, X, Y, and Z, or you start to be, treat me this way, then it's over. I'm out. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we're yet sinners, enemies, Christ died for us. He sent his son to die for us, undeserving in fact, deserving wrath, deserving reciprocation of our, of our sin, deserving judgment. And what does God do? He, he sends his son to die for us. So when we read something like verses 12 through 14 that we've been in this morning, so whatever you wish that others would do for you, do also to them. Verse 12 comes right after verse 11. And if you guys remember all of chapter 6, and, and then the whole first part of chapter 7 here has been talking about the good father who loves us. The good father who loves you so much that your cup is always full. The good father, as we talked about last week, who says, who says ask, seek, knock, come before me. You're, he says, you who are parents, if your kid came and asked for a loaf of bread, you wouldn't give him a rock. Or if he asked you for a fish, you wouldn't give him a serpent. How much more would you who are, if you who are evil know how to love your children, how much more does your perfect heavenly father love you? And so the, the, the context, the foundation of love has been, has been laid so clearly. Jesus has been talking constantly. Remember the term father, the idea of a good father has been said more in this section of scripture than anywhere else in the entire Bible. Jesus has been building out again that condition, that first cause. Amen? Are you guys tracking here? That, that, that kind of love that we're called to, he's been laying the whole foundation, and it's a picture like this. He's been laying the picture that says, listen, go before your good father with your cup, and his, his, his fountain is ever flowing so that you are so fully loved by him that now you can pour that out. You can pour yourself out like an offering. You can, you can shower love on even your enemies. You can shower love. You can, you can love others the way you want to be loved, not so they'll love you back, but because you are already so greatly loved by your heavenly Father, you're now set free to just love, to do to others as you would have them do. So look at me. Do you know how loved you are? You are radically loved by Almighty God, your Creator, who calls you son or daughter through faith in Jesus, His Son, who He sent to die on the cross and then to raise from the dead so that you and I would know how much He loves us. So you can turn to your neighbor now after having called them selfish and tell them, you're loved. Say, neighbor, you're loved. Yes, and some of you, you might even ask for a number and for a date after. No, you're loved by God. Okay, start there. You're loved by your heavenly father. And, well, guys, as we, as we bring this to a close, let me, um, let me ask you to engage your creativity with me for a minute, okay?
Because remember, Jesus, okay, for all of us uber theological heads here that are always reading some old dead, you know, theologian and we just stay in that rule, remember that, that, that theology is always meant to be practical, right? That Jesus came in the flesh, that, that, that all, of, all of life is meant to be lived out, that we don't just sit here and read this stuff and get puffed up and, you know, spiritually constipated. But he's, 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 he's given us this kind of truth so that it can be lived out in real everyday life. And so just imagine with me, like, what does this look like to love in this kind of way? What does it look like for you and I to be so secure in God's love for us that in our relationships with others, we actually can love them, treat others the way we want to be treated? You know, what would it look like? I don't know if some of you guys are more introverted and I'm more like a, like a good golden retriever that just shows up at every kind of social activity and thinks, okay, is everyone, am I, am I going to be noticed or people, is my outfit going to kind of compare with others? And I just gave that up a long time ago. But other things, you know, how am I going to, how's this going to be for me? Am I going to feel alone? Am I going to be on the wall there? Am I going to, am I going to try to get into conversations and people are going to kind of lovingly like, ha, yeah, and then kind of turn away from me? And, you know, does anyone else get this kind of social, like, anxiety And you start thinking, but what would it look like, not through your own effort, but what would it look like to know I am so loved and so accepted and so adored and so respected by my heavenly father that I'm now freed up to look for someone else who might be feeling that way. Someone else who's wondering who's going to come up and talk to me. I I can now pursue that person and try to let them have a good time because my cup is so full. What would it look like to live that way? What would it look like if our marriages, and I know some of us in here have gotten into places where we're like, how did we get here? The short answer is by, by, by being navel gazers, by staring at ourselves, by saying what's in it for me or I gotta get mine, but what would it look like to have a, an understanding of God's love that is so full that that empowers you to do the seemingly impossible and unthinkable and to move towards your spouse, whether they're deserving or not, and to pour out the kind of love that you want in return. Not just so they'll give it back, but because you already have it so fully provided by God. Right, and we can just keep on getting creative. What would it look like for those of us who drop our kids off in the morning to have a posture that was coming out of, man, I'm not at odds with everyone else. I don't need to be, you know, cutting people off and flipping people off and doing all kinds of stuff because I, it's just all about me and I got to get in here and get the best spot and drop my kids off and do this. And, you know, and what, I mean, you can, I, I think now we can start to press in and see, wow, this is really practical stuff. Like this stuff doesn't stay in the courtroom. It gets into real life here. Remember, Jesus brings real transformation that shows up in real everyday life. So what would it look like, church, for you and me individually and communally to understand God's love so much that we, we don't just try to give easy answers and say, oh, it's, it's easy, just do better, try harder, but to press into the difficult, narrow road that Jesus is calling us into and to acknowledge it is hard. But, but Jesus has said, I'm that way. Don't just try to do it on your own. Don't try to muster up the strength on your own. 
No, 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 turn to me and I, I will take you down this road because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life and he's calling you and me to follow him. Amen? Let's pray together as we respond. Heavenly Father, thank you that um, you are simple but not simplistic. <laughs> and, and Lord, we, we confess here that we have... We have tended to um, pretend that it's all easy and that we, can, um, that we can just do it on our own. We failed to acknowledge our, our deep-rooted selfishness outside of your intervention. But th I pray that this morning you have revealed the refreshing good news of Jesus that we are selfish and that we are prone to wander, Lord, we feel it, prone to leave the God I love, prone to abuse and misuse and manipulate the people around us in order to serve our own needs, and yet, you came, and you didn't consider your, 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 your place as God as something to hold on to, but you gave it up for the good of us, so that we can be restored in you. So, Lord, I pray now that as we respond individually and communally, I pray that it would be response to your love, the first cause, the first action. And then from there, Lord, that we would be your transformed people. Lord, to live all of life all for you in light of and in response to your grace. It's in your name, the name of Jesus, that we pray. Amen.